Well, it's good to, to be here. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it today, actually. So I did pre-record this sermon just in the off chance that I couldn't be here today. Um, and Peter Free says, we're in a strong position. If I have a heart attack, he can just switch to the video, which is very reassuring. So it's good news for you. <laughs> if we do switch to the video, it's not good news for me. <laughs> If you're visiting, you might be wondering why we're still looking at the birth of Christ. It's because we love Christmas so much at Christchurch. And also because it's worth spending a few more weeks just looking at the fantastic news of the Saviour of the world being born and coming to us. And today, as Susan said, we're looking at one of the great Christmas songs, aren't we? It's not Noddy Holder or Bing Bing Crosby, yes, whoever it is. But we're looking at Mary's song, The Magnificat. And it is a great song of praise, and it speaks about Jesus coming into the world and Mary's response to that. So two weeks ago, we looked at the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah in the temple. And Zechariah didn't believe, unfortunately, and he was struck dumb. And then last week, Dan spoke to us about the angel Gabriel again appearing to Mary. And Mary does believe. Her words are, may your word to me be fulfilled. And this week we're going to continue to look at Mary's response to that fantastic news that the angel Gabriel has brought to her, that she is going to conceive a child even though she's a virgin. The beginning of our reading, Mary travels a hundred miles to be with Elizabeth. So she goes from Nazareth and she travels all the way to near Jerusalem to be with her cousin Elizabeth. I don't know about you, but I wonder why did she make that journey at that particular time? Why did she hurry to be with Elizabeth straight away? Why is she in such a rush? And I guess there's a number of reasons we're not told explicitly, but I guess one reason might be that she wants confirmation. The angel has told her that Elizabeth is going to bear a son, even though she's beyond childbearing age. So Mary, maybe Mary wants to go and have confirmation that that's true. Although I suspect she's probably already heard about that. I think more likely is that she travels the hundred miles to be reassured. She wants to go to see Elizabeth to have reassurance about what the angel has said to her. On a human level, we know that a virgin birth is impossible. Not many people in Nazareth would have believed Mary's story. They won't believe that she's still a virgin. Even Joseph, at first, doesn't believe her story and wants to divorce her quietly. And if Joseph doesn't admit to being a father, well, not many other people are going to believe it. And they're going to think that Mary has committed adultery. Adultery and pregnancy outside of marriage at that time was regarded as very shameful. And Mary will have known that people would have been talking about her and gossiping about her behind her back. Mary's been chosen by God, but I suspect she might think she's going to be rejected by many other people. She's received grace from God, but I think to many other people she'll be seen as a disgrace. I'm sure Mary is experiencing emotional turmoil at this time, and she wants to go somewhere where she can get reassurance and acceptance. She's a young, unmarried and pregnant young woman. And not many people believe her story. So she leaves her own community. She even leaves Joseph to go and be with Elizabeth. 
She travels to the one person who may be able to understand her story and believe in her, because she's also conceived miraculously. And when she arrives, the fantastic things happen. Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. John the Baptist, six months old, not yet born, in the womb, leaps for joy when Mary arrives. The angel told uh, Zechariah that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and here he is, filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he's born. He recognizes who Jesus is. And Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit, and she responds by saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth and the unborn child are filled with the Holy Spirit in order to testify about what God is doing. I think it's fantastic that an unborn child and an elderly woman are filled with the Holy Spirit first, before Zechariah, an anointed priest, is filled with the Spirit later on. And to me that just speaks that there's no age limits about who God will use, who he will fill with his Spirit. There's no hierarchy. God comes to an unborn child and an elderly woman first. And filled with the Spirit, Elizabeth goes on to say, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Blessed is she. I can't help wondering if Elizabeth has a slightly quick glance at Zechariah at that time. <laughs> Blessed is she who believed. <laughs> if only you'd believe, Zechariah. <laughs> We're not told uh, Elizabeth's response that when Zechariah is unable to speak for nine months. Maybe, maybe we don't know. <laughs> We do know that Mary is blessed because she believed. Mary is a woman of faith because she trusted in what God would say. Elizabeth's affirmation must have been fantastic for Mary, mustn't it? Even before she recounts her story, Elizabeth declares that Mary is blessed. So before she said anything. And I think that's an example to us that we all need people who will walk alongside us and reaffirm us. We need people who not only believe with us, but we need people who believe in us as well. And that's surely why Mary travels to Elizabeth and has that fantastic reassurance. And unlike Zechariah, Mary is able to sing and praise. And the rest of the passage is Mary's song, where she does declare God's praise, that fantastic song. It's a song that overflows with praise and worship and joy for what God is doing in her life and what, for, for what God is doing in the world. And I think those are the two key reasons, two key things that stand out to me for why Mary praises God at this time. It's because of what God is doing in her life and because of what God is doing in the world. There's a personal revolution, but there's also that universal revolution as well. So Mary's song starts off very personally, doesn't it? My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's focused on God, but it's also quite self-centered as well. Mary rejoices because God has saved her. I think that's fantastic, isn't it? That that's true for each of us who know God. That we're often amazed that God has been mindful of us. That God has saved us. Our personal response is one of 
amazement and joy and worship. When Mary says that God has been mindful of his humble state of his servant, I don't think she's being self-effacing or humble. Mary was one of the least in society. She came from an obscure Jewish village. She was relatively poor, so unlike Elizabeth, she didn't come from a well-connected family. And while she was devout, she wasn't part of the religious establishment. When Gabriel appeared to her, she was destined to mix with ordinary society and to live an ordinary carpenter's life. There was nothing outwardly special about Mary, but God noticed something and God came to her. I think if people were mindful of Mary, she's likely to have experienced discrimination rather than blessing. She's likely to have experienced discrimination, I think, because of her age, her sex, her race, or her religion. She's likely to have experienced discrimination because of her poverty or her class or her lack of education. And yet God chooses this person. God chooses to bless her. No wonder Mary bursts into praise and worship, for this God has chosen her. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's a transformation, isn't it? That's a revolution. Because not many in our own generation would have considered her blessed. But God does, and now we consider her blessed. When God steps into our lives, a natural response is to praise and to worship God that he has been mindful of us. Who am I that God should save me? For Mary and for us, it's something to sing about. I think Mary's feelings are clear, isn't it? God owes her nothing. Everything she has received comes from him. And he has turned her life upside down. So the first reason that Mary praises God is that personal revolution that most of us can identify with. But secondly, she praises God because of that universal revolution as well. Mary's song starts off personal. But as she reflects on her own personal experience, she realizes that this isn't a one-off occurrence. This is a repeating pattern. This is how God acts throughout history. There's a universal revolution as well as a personal revolution. And I don't think Mary was particularly meek or mild, as some of us sometimes we might imagine her. Those pictures that we see of her, she looks fairly placid and meek and mild maybe. But I think her song has a definite edge to it, doesn't it? It's quite revolutionary. She rejoices that God scatters the proud. She rejoices that he brings down rulers. She rejoices that he sends the rich away empty. Mary's song is radical and subversive because it reflects God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. He lifts up the humble rather than the proud. He fills the hungry rather than the rich. Now, I don't think that's because God favours the poor over the rich. Instead, I think it's because the rich reject God. The rich think they have everything they need already, and therefore they don't receive openly from God. Wealth, power and status, I think, stops us from following God wholeheartedly, or at least it can do so. I don't think power, wealth and status affects God's love for us, but power, wealth and status can affect our love for God. 
they become more important. They're the things we can focus on too easily. They become an idol for us. I remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and we're told he loved him. I think that was quite amazing that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But then Jesus goes on and says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus then said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard because we can put our trust in our riches too easily. And I think that's a challenge for us who live in the rich West. Mary's song is revolutionary because it's e- we can easily think that it's the rich and the powerful, those who have status, who are blessed by God. But God blesses the humble and the poor because they're open to be used by him. Mary's words have a definite edge to them, and I think they would have offended many people who heard them. Through her song, we can see that Mary was a feisty young woman, and I think that stood her in good stead for the rest of her life. When I think of, when I read Mary's song, I can't help thinking about the rest of her life, and two incidents comes to mind. The first is when Jesus is in his public ministry. Mary and some of her sons actually go to take Jesus away because they think he's mad. Now I can only imagine the pain and confusion that Mary must have been experiencing to come to the conclusion that her son, the son of God, is not behaving appropriately, that he's mad. His enemies called him a drunkard and a glutton and criticised him for eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And each of those words was meant to be derogatory. And I wonder if Mary also thought it was shameful and disgraceful that her son, let alone the Son of God, should mix with such people. The Pharisees asked Jesus, do you know who you're mixing with? And the answer was yes. And that's why Jesus' behavior was so shocking. Mary thought that Jesus had come to raise people up, and he had. But first, Jesus comes down to our level. And then the second incident, if Mary was confused by Jesus' ministry, she can only have been totally devastated by his death. When she first sang her song, when she's expecting Jesus, she couldn't have expected that her son would die on a cross. The cross just looks like one more tragedy, doesn't it? It certainly doesn't look like a blessing and revolution. It doesn't look like the overthrow of the strong and the powerful, anything but. From where Mary stands at the foot of the cross, this is another disappointment, another defeat. The powerful and strong have won again. Blessing has disappeared. If you remember their song, the foot of the cross, it must have turned to ashes in her mouth, surely. This isn't what blessing is supposed to look like. This isn't what God's revolution is supposed to look like, is it? But paradoxically it is. The cross is where everyone who believes is blessed. Hallelujah. The cross is where the powers of evil and dominion are defeated once and for all. Hallelujah. Mary's song is revolutionary, but it turns out it wasn't revolutionary enough. 
God blesses us more than we can know through the cross. God turns things upside down. He dies for our sins on the cross. That's quite a blessing and that's quite a revolution. Outwardly, Mary was ordinary. Outwardly, there wasn't anything special about Mary. But in a deeper sense, she was far from ordinary, I think. She was called to live by faith and she believed. True and persistent faith is rare, I think. It's rare because it takes great courage. Mary didn't give in to her fear. Mary didn't care too much about what others thought about her. She didn't put her own reputation first. And Mary continued to believe even when things didn't turn out the way she expected. That takes great faith. And that is rare. I think if, like me, you consider yourselves ordinary, this is a great encouragement. Even though we're ordinary, God longs to work through us and bless us. In fact, it's because we're ordinary that God chooses to work with us. If we long for a deeper relationship with God and we want to be used by him, this is fantastic news. But it is also a challenge. The only thing that stops God blessing us and using us in the lives of others and bringing in his revolution is our lack of belief. We can't blame our upbringing or our age or our lack of education. All those things are irrelevant to God. If anything, they're a hindrance to God because it stops us depending on him. God longs to have a deeper relationship with each one of us and he wants to use us in the, in the world today. And that takes courage, I think. So Mary was called to an extraordinary vocation. We are also called, each one of us, to an extraordinary vocation. Mary was called to bring God, Christ, into the world. We are all, each of us, called to bring God, Christ, into the world. It's a fantastic thought. One final thought before I end. The last reference to Mary in the New Testament is at the beginning of Acts. One of my favourite passages. There we read that she was with the other disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. The final story about Mary in the Bible tells us that she was waiting. She was waiting with the other disciples for the promised Holy Spirit. She was waiting to be blessed again. Everything she went through, she was faithful at the end. And she's waiting. She's waiting to be filled by God afresh and waiting to be used again. Mary was blessed at the beginning of her life because she believed. And at the end we read that Mary is waiting to be blessed once again because she continues to believe. At the end she's waiting afresh to see how God will work out his revolution through her. And my prayer is that that would be true for each one of us. Amen.